0: Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Ram Dass said, We often think that vulnerability is kind of weakness, but there's a kind of vulnerability that is actually strength and presence. This is episode 53 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Jennifer Loudon. In the fifth grade, during her performance in a talent show, a spotlight was shone on her and it went right through her white shirt. She was heckled and felt ashamed, making this an early memory of vulnerability, but even then she learned a great deal from it. She would pursue film school and aim to become a screenwriter only to become a self-help writer. After years of successful books, workshops, and speaking, she came to realize it wasn't what she wanted. Then in a few short years, her marriage ended, her father passed away, and she lost a dear friend to suicide. This spiraled her into heartbreak and grief, and she began asking herself, why bother? It would take 10 years of work on herself to decide to open up once again in her newest and most raw book ever. Now, as the author of Why Bother, Discover the Desire for What's Next, she's inspiring people to ask themselves this question to rediscover their meaning and purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Jennifer Loudon. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm excited to have you here. You're one of the many people that signed up through the podcastguest.com newsletter that I was featured on. Um, It's been overwhelming and exciting, and I'm glad that, uh, like I said, that you signed up and, and that you're here with me today.
1: Oh, I'm excited, Brian. Really excited.
0: Awesome. So the first question I ask every guest to get started is, what is your definition of vulnerability?"
1: Ah,, oh, that's a great question. I think my definition these days would be staying with myself and what feels true and appropriate to share or connect in that moment with myself or someone else.
0: and it's you know it's it's interesting to me that most people's definition at least over the last little while have had to do with the whole you know being with yourself because i think a lot of people now with the sort of the trendiness behind the vulnerability and everything like that and that was definitely one of my worries getting this started but i think with the trendiness of the word and everything where everybody thinks it's about just you know spilling your guts and putting it all out there but i think it's important that we make sure that it's more of sitting with ourselves and then yeah sure if you want to share it great go ahead but you know you got to sit with yourself first i'm definitely glad that, that you brought that up
1: yeah i have my husband and i had a or i had an epiphany or in our relationship this is probably a couple months ago and i'm somebody who believes like if i feel angry i should share that i'm angry and then the thing for my personality is that i'm not, not angry anymore it goes away for him, I finally figured out after twelve years that it completely devastates him if I share that I'm angry. So what I what I had to learn just recently was I actually have to. It's of course it's normal and natural and okay that I'm angry, but I don't have to share it with him. I can go away. I can go for a walk. I can go downstairs in the basement and you know, do a workout and then I can come up and when I'm not angry anymore, when I'm not activated, I can be vulnerable with him. And then he doesn't shut down and freak out and go into his, um, you know, not so resourced place. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I, I think I think we can have some really wacky ideas about what it means to be vulnerable. <laughs> oh, no,
0: for sure. 100%. And then what I like to that point, what I also find interesting is that everybody's sort of ideas of it is different. You know, I've had uh, well over, I think we're well over 50 people that I've interviewed. I've released about 30 something episodes so far. And each person, when I ask that question, although there's obviously a very clear definition for the word, has their own way of looking at it. And I find mm-hmm. that, that interesting. I also relate to to what you were saying there in terms of like conversations with your husband because my wife and I uh sort of had the same situation I'm I'm very much like let's face whatever the problem is right now let's get it over with I don't want to talk about this two or three days from now I want to do it now me too after you know being married for I think it was probably close to 10 years um we we finally recognized and I, and it wasn't on our own but we finally recognized that you know the, that when she when when there's a, an issue arises she's the type of person that wants to sort of analyze it think it over deal with her emotions internally and then come to the conversation whereas i'm very much just straightforward so i definitely relate to what you're talking about we there. sound
1: like we're married to the same people <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we learn, right? you're learn. right and i'm a fast processor and then i'm done and he's yeah. a very slow methodical <laughs> right he's a scientist yeah. right i'm an artist <laughs>
0: yeah. oh there you go so yeah. definitely differences in how we we think. Yeah. So if you can look back on your life and, and go back as far as you want, I've had people go back to where they were like five years old and some people start off in around high school, totally depends on, on what you're comfortable sharing. Um, but what would you say would be your earliest memory of, of facing some sort of vulnerability or struggle in your own life?
1: You know, the, the memory that comes to me is a super uh, vulnerable one. I think I, I tried to write about it in the book, my new book, but I don't think it made it in. I have always been drawn to being creative and theater and film and then writing. And I did a fifth grade talent show and I... Did the character, Lily Tomlin's character, which many of you are probably too young to remember, but it went you know, I think it's the phrase that's right. So I had, you could see my uh, breasts, uh, budding little breasts through the white shirt. And I got heckled horribly from the audience. I went to a fairly tough. Uh, elementary school <laughs> and I finished my performance and I got off that stage and it stayed in me well here I am 57 years old and it's still there I can still feel the heat of that and the embarrassment of that and there's two sides to that story for me one is I continued I didn't run off the stage crying I didn't let it stop me from continuing to be a creative person so that's the, the plus side like I'm tough and then the other side is I remember it right? And I was ashamed. And I felt that I really put myself out there, you know, as a performer, which had been my first desire to be creative as a performer. And I was, you know, it was ho- horribly embarrassing. I mean, it would be embarrassing for an adult, but definitely a pre-adolescent. <laughs> so that's a memory that comes to me as that's sort of associated with my creativity and my work. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I can I can definitely understand the uh, the embarrassment that that might have brought on, and and heckling obviously as a child is a little bit harder to uh, to understand and manage. I mean, as adults, I think we maybe come to the point of you know like who cares sort of thing. That haters of are gonna
1: hate, right? Exactly.
0: But as yeah. a child, I can understand how. How that might have been embarrassing, but kudos to you for for having the confidence at that age to sort of continue and push forward, even though you know a lot of kids, even myself, might have just sort <laughs> of turned around and ran off and right. cried in a corner. So uh, I, I'm different. sure
1: I did cry. I don't remember that. Oh, I don't, I can, yeah, I can feel the heat in my body still. Um, yeah, and I think the reason that's an early story of vulnerability for me is that vulnerability and creativity are so interconnected, right? And people have been asking me how I could be so vulnerable in the new book because there's really intensely personal stories in it. And I think it has something to do with just learning from, starting from that young age that you're not going to die. And what's more, what's most important though, is that you are showing up, you're showing up for your creative process. You're showing up for your ideas. You're showing up and That's what I want to be a stand for in my life is showing up and trying and not hiding and not giving up because someone's going to tell me that I have high beams (laughs) through (laughs) my white shirt.
0: (laughs) You know, it, it always, it always really amazes me when I have guests who come on and they have these memories from a young age, like you said, you're in grade five. And yet, you know, even at that age, some of us were able to, like yourself were able to sort of recognize, like, like you're saying that, you know, the show still goes on and that, you know, things are going to happen, but you know, it's, it, this is my moment and, and th- this is what I want to do. So I'm going to continue doing it. Right. Cause I don't think that that, that's how it goes for everybody, you know, And being able to have that sort of strength.
1: For sure. And I, I believe me, I'm making myself sound so tough, but there's been so many times when I have folded and there's so many times that I have um, not gotten back on the horse and. Those are regrets that I have and actually one of them was after I I got on Oprah and it didn't go the way I wanted and that really was that took me down for a couple of years So, you know, there's a mixed bag over here But what I but what I think I've learned at this age is that like hey Who cares if you get heckled, right? Who cares if you get you know, I got my first bad review on the book, you know, and I, and it, you know, I was like, okay, clearly it wasn't for you. There's almost two hundred five star reviews over here. I'm going to pay attention to those. <laughs>
0: <Exactly>. <laughs> but it is sometimes, I mean, and and obviously everybody has, you know, different experiences and different things that have happened. And, and, you know, for some of us, I think that it is easy though to get caught up in that one bad review. And I oh, yes. understand where you're coming from. I've, you know, in the time I spent a couple of years very heavily on social media, Mainly LinkedIn. And there were definitely times where, you know, that negative comment would trap me and would either get me to like pull back or stop, or sometimes I'd engage a bit. And it's easy to have that happen compared to the other side where, you know, you look at all the great things that are being said. And, and there was even a point where somebody sort of behind the scenes and messages said some things to me and my first initial reaction was let me go and get my group of like you know that love me and, and appreciate what i'm putting out there and let's gang up on this person and then i reached out to a few of them and they were like yeah that's probably not the best idea so instead i turned it around and and made it into a post about you know exactly what you're saying where you know, my my sort of idea behind it was that there's always uh, one i think it was what one bad apple can spoil the bunch or something like that and that was sort of the idea that i was putting behind it the analogy of the fact that yeah we let one bad person spoil everything or we can recognize that there's a ton of good apples and put more of our time and effort into those so just sort of a a relate relatability there
1: yes and the other thing we can do is keep looking deep into our own hearts about why am i doing this like why am i creating this am i creating it for people to like me or am i creating it because i got to create it. I've got something to say here in the world and I want to be a good steward of it. And I want to get the word out about it. And that's going to go the way it goes, good, bad, and ugly. But, but don't let go of that essential essence of why we create or why we, you know, whatever your creation is, podcast, book, you know, theater piece, why are you doing it? And if it's all about what you're going to get back from it, you're going to run out of steam. Because there's never going to be enough coming back to you. You're, yeah. You will be the hungry ghost who just wants more and more accolades.
0: No, definitely. And I understand that as well. I mean, I think if we just continue down this path, we could probably spend the entire hour talking about this sort of stuff, because I I definitely agree with everything you're saying. I've experienced it over the past few years. And, you know, Mm -hmm. coming down to like this podcast, that was one thing I had to sort of recognize right away is if I'm aiming towards getting a million downloads and becoming, you know, the vulnerable guy this isn't going to work out and so i made my goal very early on to impact one listener per episode simple small nothing huge and and that was sort of that's what's kept me going is because my goal right now is that's it I'm not trying to make money from this I'm not I'm trying to share people's stories help Mm -hmm. other people out through those stories and like I said impact one listener per episode so I I completely agree with everything you said one thing I want to sort of go back to in terms of you know when you had that incident happen at such a young age like what what was it was it something about your upbringing was it just something about you personally that helped you sort of overcome that situation and and because again, at such a young age, I can't imagine most children being like, "Well, show still goes on. I'm going to keep going and having the confidence to do that."
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is the, uh, the way I'm built. You know, I had very loving parents, and um, I had an older father who was 43 when I was born. So he had gone through the been raised during the depression, and he had um, fought in the Pacific in World War Two. And he was very much a self-made businessman without a lot of education. Um, so I think that I got that message very, from day one, you make what you want, you go for it. Yeah, I remember I was, I started, I, I went to film school, fast forward many, many years after the Talent show episode, and <laughs> also had some really, really difficult times in film school. And I had about a three day period; I was probably having a little bit of a nervous breakdown, and I couldn't stop crying. And I remember calling my dad, and he wrote me a letter. And this is not something he did very much. He didn't like the way he spelled. He didn't feel again. He he did graduate high school, but he just didn't think of himself as a, a an intel- intelligent in those ways. And but he wrote me a note, and he said, "When the tough." when that, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Now we would like to build some self compassion (laughs) into that, but you know, again, my dad was born 1919. And so that, I think that message was very much in me. Um, and at times it really pulled me through. It's probably the main reason I'm successful, but at times it really ground me down into a nub too, because I would push and I would shove and I would make myself work harder than I needed to. And so it's a double-edged sword for sure.
0: Yeah, that's, it's interesting to me, you know, in in an episode that I did a few days ago, and then even um, a few weeks ago, the one of the subjects that came up was sort of the whole duality of things, you know, the the fact that, you know, the good and the bad of everything, you know, like the Mm -hmm. the one guest talked about how, you know, she had a father who, who struggled with alcoholism, and a mother who was very religious and very, Structured, and she had that in the house constantly. And like in your example, like you're saying, is the fact that you know it's although you you the message that your dad sent you was one that could help you sort of get through uh, the harder times, it also made sometimes uh, things harder. So it's interesting. It did recognize that you know that kind of
1: put your head down, right, and just go no matter what. And at some point, you're like, well, wait, I'm a human, and I need to you know rest and sleep and have fun, and yeah.
0: Uh, especially in today's like i find in today's day and age it's all about like hustle harder and like yeah harder. i can't do
1: it anymore i really can't it's just like that i have reached some place in my heart and body where i cannot do that anymore and it's scary because i've been self-employed for 30 years this is how i make my living and there's just a part of me that's like mm, can't do it anymore so Hopefully, I'll be inventing a new
0: way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, but I don't even know that it's ever really the the right thing to do in 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 many ways because I think that if we're just hustling and we don't really know why, or if we don't yeah,
1: oh, that's so value true.
0: behind it, that it can turn out to you know hurting us more than helping us if that makes definitely. Sense. that makes sense so i i I definitely like uh you know like i said i read through the the short bio that you provided when you when you signed up to be on the podcast but if you don't mind just sort of getting into that uh, you know getting into more of your your journey more of things i mean you you quickly mentioned and slid in there about uh sitting on oprah's couch which obviously is interesting and uh something that i can't say i've heard from any other guests that i've had Mm -hmm. on so far and maybe not even in the future so yeah just if you want to get into sort of more of your story and, and let let us know sort of more what's happened over since that, you know, talent show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so after the talent show. Yeah. Um, so, so I always was a creative person. Eventually I ended up at USC film school, uh, barely got through that experience. And out of that, um, I wanted to be a successful screenwriter. Um, and I pursued that for a while, not very successfully. And almost had another sort of mini breakdown. And out of that came the title for what became my first best-selling book. And there's a story about it in my new book, Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next. And that book was published in 1992. And it became, it was the first book to really talk about self-care and self-nurturing in the um, sort of popular culture, right? There was mentions of it in um, recovery from um, being abused. There was mentions of it, of course, in feminist literature from Audre Lorde from a very early time. But nobody had really went like, hey, this is actually something we need to do. So that book sold lots and lots and lots of copies and really gave me a career because people started you know, calling me to be on media and calling me to give speeches. And I started giving workshops around it. And um, it was lovely and beautiful. And I started writing a whole bunch more books. We did a whole series of books around comfort in relationships and when you're pregnant. And, and there was a part of me that rejected what I was doing. There was a part of me that didn't want to be a self-help writer. And that eventually, fast forward many years and lots of workshops and lots of speeches and being on Oprah for the Woman's Retreat book, which is my fourth book, and a a kind of a a Job-like affliction that I went through for a few years, including my dad dying, included um, my dad and my first husband having cancer the first time, a friend dying of suicide on the day that I got uh, booted from a lucrative contract that I had as a <laughs> spokesperson for a company, oh my, God. it was just bad. Um, a divorce from my first husband, and out of that long dark period and many years of writing about it, eventually I came up with my last book, which actually took me almost eleven years to write. After writing a book almost every year or two, having almost a million copies of all those books in print. I struggled for years to write this book and to figure out what it was about and wrote a whole bunch of different versions of other books before this one came together. And really looking back at all those times in my life that I mentioned just briefly here, when I came to a crossroads and didn't know what to do. And so this book is really about what do you do when you've lost your desire for your work or your person or someone has died or or in this pandemic, your you know maybe your career or your business is just take, just taken from you, poof, like in two weeks gone. what do you do and that 's what i I finally found myself writing about and articulating after all that time, so and it 's not a very cohesive story. There's been coaching in there. I lead women's retreats. I mean, you name it, I've done it. (laughs) And really, it's all been around, Brian, it's all been around helping mainly women get more of what they want, make more of what they want. I just am such a believer that we don't ever have to give up on ourselves, that there's always more for us. It may not look the same, right? I'll never get to hug my father again right I'll never be married to my first husband again things end bad things happen but we don't have to let them take our future away
0: yeah no and so that was definitely like uh, you know uh, like you said there's that more to the story but for me, <laughs> the one thing that that I definitely sort of walk away from that with is a couple of things one is you know it when it rains it pours it sounds like <laughs> that you know, when when the darkness hit, it hit in a big way. It wasn't just like one thing or two things. Oh, no, it went it on like for a years. Lot of, <laughs> a lot of things sort of came at you at once. Um, the one thing I, I guess I want to ask from that is like, was there anything that you can remember that helped you as you were going through that? Mm. Um, just because, I mean, you know, like you said, you, it, it was not something that happened, you know, over a couple of days, couple of weeks. It was over years. And, you know, I think the for me, the, the biggest part from all of it, it seems like it stemmed or it started with the whole feeling like what you were doing wasn't necessarily what you were meant to do or what you wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense. If I've yeah,
1: yeah, no, totally makes sense. That's very um, perceptive of you. And I didn't understand this for so many years. And again, I write about it in the book, but I think that the because I am this person who really identifies with being creative and who just loves to make stuff, that rejecting what I was naturally doing in the world and called to do and thinking it wasn't good enough or cool enough or I wanted to be a screenwriter I wanted to be Tina Fey I wanted to be these things that for a whole bunch of reasons some within my control some without I hadn't done and I had gone in this other direction and it was really helpful and satisfying to people and by the way I was successful and I could take care of myself and you know do things that a lot of people would be envious of and I think that is that that rejection is at the heart of what made those years so much harder. They would have been hard anyway, but, and I think that was, I think that's what the new book is really about. How do we stop rejecting ourselves? How do we stop rejecting, I call them our signature themes, the things that we're drawn to no matter what, and they may not make us money, and they may not, we may not be able to do them in the forms we want, and may be frustrated by them, but they won't leave us alone. And the things that won't leave me alone are creating stuff, and helping people make more of what they want they won't leave me alone and yet i didn't like it i didn't want it right Right. i wanted you know i wanted to be blah blah i don't know right it's all so silly now so yeah i think that was at the heart of it it wasn't really letting myself embrace who i am and what i can't help but do
0: yeah so so essentially like like you're saying so you wanted to be something else and when that didn't happen you rejected what was working but then you've come back to it almost full circle which
1: totally you know why And, and there's a story in the book about this it's because i realized writing so before this one of the many books i wrote that didn't work i spent four years and 500 pages writing a memoir that failed as a work of literature, but it taught me a lot of the things I'm talking about today and, and, and everything that ended up in the book almost. And one of the stories I wrote when I was writing the memoir is the story of when my dad told my mom she couldn't work. She came to him. I was We were coming home from dinner. I was in the backseat of the car, I was 16, and she wanted to take a job at a boutique, and he didn't, absolutely not. You will, you know, my, again, my dad was another age, another time. And I had never been so filled with rage at my father. I, I absolutely adored my father. He was totally, I was totally a father's daughter. And I I mean, I wanted to run away from home. I mean, I was just like, oh, oh, I hate you so much. for. And I think that has really fueled my work. And when I wrote that story, I could see it in a whole nother way. It took on a whole, it just made sense. And it took on dignity. I mean, have you ever done that with, I heard your story maybe when you're telling a friend or a coach or a therapist and you're like I get it I get myself because let's be honest us humans are puzzles to ourselves yeah. the way our brains are built we don't know crap about ourselves we think we do but we are one walking mystery to ourselves and we always will be to some degree and we can definitely work on it and we need to work on it so embrace reading that story when I when I wrote it reading it back to myself made me go oh, I get it I want. I don't want women to ever be held back.
0: No, and and, and it's interesting to me when I hear stories like this where people can relate something that happened. I had a guest on a while back now who Who years later realized that something like that, like a moment in time when she was a child that happened with her and her father, in your case, between your father and your mother, sort of it led to where she's at now and and the way the work that she does and everything. So it it definitely is interesting to me. And, And I think in some ways, that's the point of my podcast is like, how can our past or how can things that we've been through, what can they teach us? to move forward right and and i completely agree 100% with what you said about us being puzzles i mean Even as much as I have figured out about myself over the last few years I know there's still a long ways to go and I've had those moments recently speaking with a coach and we were talking about You know like things that I want to do and he's like, well, why haven't you done them? And I was like, well, you know because I don't know if I put this out there if people are gonna like it and he's like Well, why is that a problem? And I was like, well, you know when I was in school, you know I was always told that if I put in more effort, I'd get better marks and this and that and And it was just like all of a sudden I'm like spewing out all this stuff that I didn't even think about and then I was like, wow, so a lot of what what is stopping me from moving forward now may have to do with many things that happened to me in my past. And the fact that, like I said, you know, I was, I wasn't a bad student, but I was just, if I didn't have an interest in something, then I wouldn't put, put everything into it. But I was mm-hmm. constantly told that, you know, I was smart enough, but I didn't put in enough effort. And so the, that whole thing is led to now where I'm like worried about, have I done enough to put this out there? Have I, you know, is it good enough, whatever. and And at the end of the day, like you're saying, None of that stuff really matters, but you have to face it and deal with it in order to move forward from it so so I definitely agree and, and understand where you 're coming from there so when again when you were when you were sort of you know going through that rougher time mm-hmm. with you know sort of the divorce from your husband, loss of your father, the close friend, was there any people or mm-hmm. anything that helped you sort of get through that because I can't imagine dealing with that much on my own I've lost a few people close to me in the last few years and you know oh without a doubt and the first loss a couple years ago of my grandfather was much Mm -hmm. harder than the loss of my grandmother more recently just simply because of how I dealt with it so I just Mm -hmm. interested in how you dealt with those things what helped you get through them.
1: I would say the thing that didn't help me (laughs) was being incredibly hard on myself because there was ways that I handled some of the hard times that made it stick around longer and turn it into what I call why bother, which is a why bother time, which is what the premise of the book is that we all come to these moments in life when we're asking, what's the point? You know, it's, it's too late. I'm too old. Everybody else has already done this. Um, I made these mistakes. So I don't get another, I don't get another attempt. I don't get another try. We all ask these questions. We all come to these points Sometimes they are big and clear. Like my couple of years, sometimes they're small and they pass through in an afternoon. And I didn't know, A, that this was natural to come to this, you know, just really beaten down place. And I didn't know how hard I was being on myself for the choices that I'd made, the ways that I'd reacted to stress. So I wish that someone had reached out a hand to me and said, This is really hard. You're doing the best you know how at the time. Give yourself a break. That's what I didn't do, Brian, and that's what I really, really wish I had. And that's what, what I can say. I try to do for people in the book. I try to be that voice, right? Like, come on, it's gonna. Life is waiting for you. It's gonna happen again. Um, I think the thing that, um, yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking of all the things that were bad and that yeah, well, how I didn't take care of myself. What what actually helped during that time? Oh, hmm. I mean, meeting my now husband um, sometime after, but still things were still hard. That was wonderful, and letting him love me and see me—that was wonderful. Um, yeah.
0: I'm, 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 I'm sort of intrigued and and wondering. Yeah, and this just came to mind as as we're talking, and this sort of happens every once in a while. But I do wonder: was there any writing or creative work going on during that Oh, time? yeah, that's a great question. You know, yeah.
1: yeah. I was, um, I took a sabbatical for the first time in my adult life. I didn't do any new work for nine months, but that was right after the worst of everything. And and right in the middle of the divorce stuff, but dad had been gone for about a year. Um, maybe not quite. So what did I, what, what was I working on creatively? I mean, I was, Teaching and leading retreats and things, but I don't think during the worst of that I was able to create. I really don't. Okay. I was and then, curious. yeah, and then after that it came out, and then before too long I started working on the memoir that didn't work. So that was definitely a four year project in there.
0: No, I just, I was curious because it seems like that throughout your life, the the creative side of you is what's helped you sort of uh, move forward and move past mm-hmm. a lot of things. So I was just curious as to whether during that time you you maybe found uh, creativity in a different way, whether it was through writing, whether it was through something else. But if not, that's like I said, it was just a curiosity.
1: Yeah, I ha- bef- shortly before all that happened, a few years before that happened, I got really obsessed with making art which was completely new for me. But I don't remember whether I kept it up during that period or not. I don't remember if it helped
0: me. Yeah, well, and, and I can only imagine, like I said, that you know, going through everything that you did in, in that period of time may have held back a lot. Like mm-hmm. for me, I, I, I sort of went the opposite way. So like, you know, uh, to, to speak again to my, the passing of my grandfather, when he passed, instead of trying to deal with it or, or being with it, I literally went into everything and anything that I could to distract myself. Mm-hmm. happened like I started a business I you know was trying to like learn you know about uh, how to do things on social media I was I was doing anything and everything you know whether it was even just like you know extracurricular activities that probably weren't the best for me Mm -hmm. Um, whatever it was I was doing something to distract and suppress any feelings or emotions I had towards the situation Um, so I can I can understand how you know whether it's you know by not doing anything that we can just sort of uh, hold ourselves back or by doing more so uh, like I said I was just curious as to whether any of that had to do with sort of the process of of helping you um, you know get through it but it sounds to me it was more of just letting yourself sort of be there and be in that moment deal with it as best as you could until you were able to sort of get out of it a bit and then meet your, like you said, your now husband. And, and even, it seems like the memoir that didn't end up happening may have been a good tool as well. It
1: was huge. It was, was life changing. You totally picked up on that. It was life changing. I could never have written this new book. It never would have been what I think by far the best book of my eight books. But because it, writing that story for four years changed me, I saw the things that I was doing to myself. And I think there's something about putting our story into words and not just writing it journaling but writing it to really explain it as if someone else is going to read it you get some distance from it and you see the ways that you've caused yourself suffering you see the ways that you have been a mystery to yourself like the story about my mom and my dad and my mom wanting to work and so i understood so much about myself it really changed me profoundly So I'll never regret those four years and those
0: 500 pages. No, and and I don't think, I think that one thing, you know, I've sort of learned over the last few years is that there's, we really shouldn't look at much in our life as a regret. It's because everything is more of just a learning experience. Like the one uh, quote that comes to mind, and I don't know who it's from, but they said that there's no such thing as failing, only learning. And it's the same sort of thing, I think in terms of regrets, you know, I I hear all the time as I've been listening to podcasts or books that I've read about how, you know, when people get to their deathbed, their regrets are this, this, and that. And I guess I can sort of understand that when you're at that point in your life, there may be some things that you regret not doing. But at the end of the day, I think as we're here, we're still healthy, still alive that, you know, regrets are more of things that we can learn from if we tend, if we take that sort of approach to it rather than just sort of, you know, thinking it was something that you know we should have done or that we didn't do or whatever so I think that that you know what I take from what you're saying is that even though it took you four years and you're not releasing it there was so much that you learned from it rather rather than sort of sitting and wallowing in the fact that it didn't happen or whatever
1: yeah and I couldn't have learned what I learned to write this the book that did just come out and I couldn't and there are stories from the memoir that ended up in there that make it a much richer book. So definitely no regrets.
0: And I also find it interesting that you brought up the the whole part of you know doing a memoir over journaling because I journal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I journal every day, and I I, I sort of I stopped. For about a three-month period, my wife and I um, we got pregnant. We got a puppy at the same time, so (laughs) crazy. Yeah, it was like all this stuff all at once. So maybe it was more than three months. I don't know. The whole thing sort of you know meshed together. But the the point is, I, I stopped for a while, and then I got back to it recently. And when I went back and I read sort of everything that I had written over those few months that I was doing it consistently, it was quite interesting to sort of see where my mind was at. You know, I was also meditating every morning and exercising every morning and to see sort of the shifts that had happened when I stopped doing it, it was a great reminder to be like, get back to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I could almost, I'm just sort of imagining here that, you know, journal, if journaling has that kind of impact, I can only imagine what the impact of writing 500 pages would have. And not that it's an activity that everybody's going to undertake, but if you, I don't know if this question is going to make sense, but if, if you were to advise people, um, uh, on on something to do like that, like maybe is there an in between, or or is there something that you would advise yeah. people to do to be yeah. able to sort of put that out there, or, or for themselves at least?
1: Yeah, um, I think the thing to do one of one of the things that when I, I work with writers as a part of my business, I use this phrase "stretch to connect." So what I would imagine could be useful is to take, make a list of moments in your life that feel challenging or mysterious or you're not sure why you keep thinking about them or you know that have heat for you and pick one and then imagine that you're not just telling it to yourself in a journal which is fantastic journaling is fantastic but that you actually have to stretch to connect so that someone else could read that and understand what people look like what things sounded like what it felt like in your body so that you're having to fill in the picture in ways that you may not have thought about for a long time. And in that process, I think there can be a lot of self-discovery, but you also have to imagine yourself for this to work as a character. So not to identify so much as yourself. So it can be helpful to write it in the third person instead of the first person and get a little distance from who you were. Not to cut off your feelings, but to be able to really go, well, what did happen? What was I feeling? What, what dialogue did I have with my sister? And really write it like you would for someone else to read it. You never have to share it with anybody.
0: No, that's it's. I've never thought about it that way, and I, I, I. It's not that I've taken writing professionally whatsoever, but I do enjoy writing, and that is an interesting way for me to look at it. It makes me think of, uh, you know, a few months back, a coach that I've been working with. He got me to write something called my last day letter, and it was essentially mm. like if I were to be gone tomorrow. This is what I'd want people to remember me for, or remember about me, and um, and yeah, I was, you know, reading it back a few months later was really eye opening, and then I've done it again recently through another exercise that was presented to me by a previous guest, and it was, it's really interesting when you're sort of looking at it, like you're saying, like you're not, you're not necessarily looking at it for yourself, but almost from the outside in. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Makes sense because you're, 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 you're able to almost open yourself up in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it was eye-opening because it was just like, I knew there were certain things that I obviously want to achieve in life and stuff like that, but I never thought about it in terms of the impact that it might have on others. And it seems to me that like you're saying with the activity that you just presented, that might be what you're doing is that you're 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 sort of imagining how this could impact others, not so much what the impact it has on you.
1: But possibly, and I think the other thing that happens is you get distance from your own story, so you see it in new ways.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you see, you, you
1: get maybe some insights into why you did what you did, or you know, because we're we're narrative machines. We make story constantly, and that story is not really factual <laughs> there's not a lot of facts about what we're telling ourselves about other people or about ourselves most of the time the facts are pretty slim you and i could have entire narrative about how this podcast went and how what i said was interesting and useful or not and we get a very different point of views and all kinds of interpretations and opinions the fact is we spoke <laughs> We spoke. We spoke about things. That's about it. And, and, and when we can start to start embrace that and see that in different ways, it really gives us a lot of freedom to show up more vulnerably and um, authentically and really embrace who we are and, and what we desire.
0: No, it, what you what you brought to mind is, uh, you know, I've I've done a little, a lot more reading in in terms of the realms of, you know, meditation, uh-huh. uh, you know, the brain, all that kind of stuff. And like one thing that you're making me think about as you were talking about all that was a book that I read, The Untethered Soul, and hmm. and it talks about our internal thoughts and if we were to have the person who was coming up with all those thoughts sitting next to us saying them we'd be like you're crazy and yet you like you're saying we listen to a lot of what is going on and these narratives that we make up when 90% of them if not more are just things that like you're saying we make up and and unfortunately a lot of us just sit with them for too long and I've done that and many believe
1: them and yeah. believe them your thoughts are innocent your, your mind thinks that doesn't mean you have to pay attention to it. Yeah, but we do. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but it is a it is a practice, it is a choice. It's never gonna go away. You know, it kills me when people say, I can't meditate because my mind is too busy. I'm like, Oh, and you and everybody else's. <laughs> yes, you can meditate. You're mistaking what meditation is or can do for you. It's not gonna make the noise go away. Yeah. Maybe it does occasionally. Sometimes I mean when when I've been on long meditation retreats, there has been times when I'm like, wow. There's not a lot going on in there, <laughs> but
0: there's still something going on. And that just sort of brings something to mind. Cause I, like I said, I've been meditating for a little while now. It's not much, it's 10 minutes a day That's you know, great. doing it for maybe about three or four months. And I was doing it for three or four months a while back as well. Um, and, but it's definitely something I want to continue. But uh, away from that, one thing I wanted to ask, um, as you're bringing up a lot of those points, because one thing I've noticed for myself is that, You know, if I'm at work, let's say, and something's frustrating me in the past, I would have just let it continue to spiral and get angry and make it the worst day and curse and, you know, complain to other people or whatever. And now what I notice, and then whether it's all because of meditation or not, I don't know, but what I notice is that. You know, in terms of when I get frustrated, I can notice it a little bit quicker and then sort of ask myself, is this worth it? And going back to the point that you made about sort of with you and your husband and the conversations and you'd get angry and mm-hmm. now you've realized sort of how to process that instead of sort of pushing him more. Is mm-hmm. was that at all? And, and or would you see any relatability between meditation, and the practice of meditation and that again, it's just sort of something I'm, I'm curious about, because like you're saying, a lot of people out there fear meditation or don't want to do it because of like the reasons that you said, but if you could give us a way that it's maybe helped you. Um, so that maybe some people might consider it.
1: Oh, I gotta say if there's one thing that has the biggest idea change of my whole life has been learning at a very young age to observe and witness my thoughts and feelings. Um, I started meditating when I was 12. I have not meditated consistently since then. I wish I had, but there's definitely been years of regular practice in there. And yes, that you are not your thoughts and feelings. Your thoughts and feelings are, are valid and real, but you are not just your thoughts and feelings because then you wouldn't be aware of them. And if we don't practice ways of witnessing and honoring and welcoming our experience, we are at the mercy. We're animals, really, right? Because we are. We're mammals. We're mammals. We're little ant. We're very smart, upright animals walking around. And to me, like if if there's something that we could find, a way to teach everybody a form of meditation that works for them, because there's so many different kinds. A form of of meditation, of uh, let's even drop the word, a way to work with your mind, and your emotions that helps you. I think it would be the most beneficial thing. And let me tell you my fantasy. So my fantasy is that all over the world, there are these beautiful buildings. And when you're having problems, maybe you're having an emotional problem or you're having a mental health problem or whatever, and you know, an internal problem, you go to this beautiful building and there's all these beautiful people there and you describe the problem to them. And they say, go to room 312. And in 312 is a practitioner of some kind who tries to help you, and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. So it doesn't, you come back to the beautiful people in the lobby, and, and they're, you're like, that didn't work for me, and they're like, oh, hey, go to room 105, until, and it's all free, by the way, in my fantasy, and you, and they're the very best practitioners in the world, and then until you find the things that work for you, or the combination of things that help you be calmer and more self-accepting, and aware that we're all fighting our internal battles, we're all fighting our demons but they're
0: not real. Yeah, no, I it's it's, it's funny uh, to me cuz not what you're saying is funny, but <laughs> what's funny is these things that come up. So I have a friend of mine who I think I should introduce you to because she has a similar idea. She she owns a <laughs> company called The Passion Center and her goal is to sort of help people realize that, you know, even you, you can to basically reconnect with what their passions are, what their meaning in their life is, and then how to either use it in their workplace, how to, to create a career from it, whatever it might be. But her idea overall is to create these centers, like you're saying, um, where it's just different spaces for different things and different people to, you know, go into to discover. So it, it, it's interesting to me that I know two people that think <laughs> it that way because it just it's a very like you're saying it's a fantasy and it's an out there yeah. thing, but it it almost makes sense because uh, instead of having you know a therapist over here and a, this person over there and then having to go all these different places, it would be great to just have somewhere where you can go and and sort of discover that. Um, so yeah, and then the other thing
1: that Yeah, one thing
0: that's helped me um, or that got me into meditation, at least, was I listened to this podcast, 10% Happier.
1: Oh, I love Dan Harris. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And what helped me there was the fact that, like you're saying, it it provided um, a little bit of everything. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's the key, like you're saying, is that it's not just about, you know, like getting into meditation, like sitting down and, and, you know, paying attention to your breath and whatever. There's so many different types out there. There's so many different ways to look at it. It's just finding one that works for you. And and that's sort of what happened for me is I had so many different perspectives just through that one podcast that it allowed me to understand that like, Okay, it's not just about this it's not just about that it's not about you know becoming a monk and and you know living with nothing it's it's just you have to sort of find your own way and and to go about it and eventually that may lead into you know becoming a, a full-time practitioner that may lead into some other crazy thing or whatever but it's a matter of just finding your own way first rather than being Absolutely. so caught up in the sort of things that you hear
1: the form, or the stories about it, or that it's yeah, and that it's about giving yourself the ability to increase the time between stimulus and response. <laughs> so the stimulus is the guys on the trail this weekend. We went up on one of our trails. We live in Boulder County, and you know all the runners and the hikers have our masks, and we're pulling them on and we get near each other, and we're getting off the trails as best we can, so we're doing social distancing. And then here comes this bunch of mountain bikers, you know, no masks, bombing through, way too close to us. So that's the stimulus. Now my response is that, do I yell at them? Do I fume all the way down the mountain at them? I tell you, I was very, I was really, really wanted to hate them all the way down that mountain. <laughs> or do I go, wow, that was hard. I don't feel safe with that. That startled me. OK. Oh, look at this beautiful green day. It's so misty and cool and smells so good. And I can feel my feet. And there's my husband in front of me running. Wow, I'm alive. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, think,
0: I think, you know, and not to like try and, uh, you know, bring your whole story and this whole episode into one word, but the one thing that just hit me like, like, just like I ran into a wall right now is that it seems to me that one thing you've been very good at and one thing that people could take away from this is perspective. It seems to me that you've been very good at having perspective um, and that you know if more of us sort of had more perspective on life and, and a lot of these things like what you just said right there in that story was a perfect example in my opinion because you you could have definitely got angry and yelled and screamed and been miserable for the rest of the day. But then you looked up and said, I'm in nature, I'm with my husband, we're enjoying this beautiful, so beautiful. And, and wow. so again, that was the perspective. You could have continued to go down the road, at, like you said, of being miserable, but you took the perspective of enjoying nature, enjoying life, um, which again, like I said, is something I think it's something all of us can learn from.
1: Yes. Thank you. I, um, I like that. And I, uh, yeah, again, just to be honest, I was really tempted to keep being angry at those guys and there was more than one crowd of them. Um, but I don't want to be that person. And I think that's what all the different kind of mindfulness, meditation, creative techniques that we've been talking about and that you talk about in the podcast can help us do just to remember that we do have a choice. You know, we always have a choice how we respond internally and externally.
0: Another key point. So I want to sort of get an idea from you if you could take everything that sort of happened throughout your lifetime, you know, uh, from the first sort of experience on stage to, you know, your divorce, uh, losing your friend, your father, how would you say all of it helped you get to the point that you're at right now? I mean, it sounds to me like it's obviously helped you with writing the book that you just wrote. But is there any other ways that you would say all those experiences, the struggles and everything that you've been through, how they've helped you become the person that you are now?
1: Yeah. The the thing that I found myself writing in the book that I think about most days and is the answer, which is the answer to the question, is that life never gives up on us. We get in the way of life, we give up on life, we turn our back on life, we say, fuck you life. (laughs) But life doesn't give up. Life is still there until our last breath saying, come on. Come on, you're alive. You're alive. What do you want to do? What do you want to feel? Who do you want to be? What do you want to savor today? And that's what all that has taught me. Stop don't like get in that moment on the trail am I going to turn my back on life and be angry at those yahoo bikers or am I going to be like oh my god I'm up here I haven't been up in the mountains in two months because we've been you know social distancing and you can't often get off the trail and it's green and Colorado can be so brown and oh my god it's green yeah so that's what I've learned and I and, and the only regrets to go back to the regret piece earlier the regrets that I have at the time that I didn't open to life. Those are my regrets, because I can't have that back.
0: Yeah, you can't get time back, unfortunately.
1: You can't get time back. So I just I just like here on out, man, every day I'm like, stop it. Come on, here, here's life. What is it? What is it? Like yesterday I was I was tense about something and I got went out in the back porch and I'm like, oh my God, it's such a beautiful day. And then my little my, my mind is like, but you but you should be, oh my god, you should worry about this, and what about that? I'm like, it's such a beautiful. <laughs>
0: sort of bringing your ba- yourself back to the present a little bit.
1: Yeah, and just like, night. I mean, it's so, I, I think when I first learned mindfulness and being present, it always felt so intellectual to me. It's so in your body. It's so about savoring what's here and opening to it. It's so much more full spectrum than when I first learned mindfulness. I always thought it was kind of tight and good tissues. <laughs> I think it's very delicious. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, and, and I can see where you're coming from. And, you know, it just, to me, the, the it just sort of it brings to mind, I've been using this app um, for a while now. And, and the person uh, who created it was a guest on the podcast that I released, I think, like two weeks ago or last week. Um, but it's this app called We Croak. And it's to a lot of people. Oh, yes, nice. I know.
1: I have a client who loves that
0: app you're like one of the first people that when I've said that has been excited about it because most people I'm like I have this app that sends me five uh, quotes about death every day and makes me contemplate and they're like what is wrong with you like no 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 wait like you don't get
1: the. no it's good it's good you're gonna die you're gonna die and your little mind doesn't like to face that
0: so and so I think that like what I related there was when you said like life doesn't give up on you uh until it's obviously till you're last breath, but I think the more that we can recognize that in whichever way it is, whether it's being in the present moment, whether it's contemplating death five times a day, whatever it Mm -hmm. might be. It's, it's important to, to sort of stay in that place as much as you can. And that was sort of the, the gentleman who created the app, that was his goal was to help us become more present. Because unfortunately, mm-hmm. like you're saying, a lot of us can get caught up in our thoughts. A lot of us can get caught up in the routines of our day-to-day. Yeah. You know, same thing over and over again, that being present becomes harder and harder the more that you're sort of stuck in that place.
1: Yeah, we're not meant to be present. We have to treat, train ourselves to be present.
0: Oh, for sure. So, uh, we're getting down to the last few things here. I want to respect your time for sure. One of the last few questions I have is if, you know, at this point in your life with everything that's happened with where you're at right now, with, with your current book and with your books that you've released, would you say that you've found success and fulfillment in your life? Or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that?
1: Oh, hell yes. (laughs) Not the journey. No total success and fulfillment. No, it's, my, my, my success criteria is, am I joyful, am I present, am I feeling my feelings, am I accepting myself and other people, am I showing up, am I focusing on what I can do and where I can be the most effective? Oh yeah, now, they're all criteria that live in me. They don't live in you, they don't live in my book sales. I mean, I love those things. I love book sales, I love five-star reviews and all that, but it's very ephemeral. No, I feel very successful.
0: No. And and what I'm so glad about when you said that is, is I love how you had your definition for success. Mm -hmm. I was trapped for years and I think a lot of us get trapped in, in the whole what success is based on what society tells us. And I just love the fact that you have that sort of those things that define success for you. And although, you know, the, you said the book sales are great and the reviews are great. That's not your definition of success. And just, I appreciate when people sort of bring that to the table because I think a lot, some people will just answer that question of like, yes, I'm successful. No, I'm not fulfilled or whatever it might be. And there's no real explanation. So I really appreciate that you did that. So last question for me is uh, if people were to go back and listen to this episode, there's tons of takeaways. You gave us a ton of even just activities and things that we can do. But if you could give people three important lessons, three things that you learned in your lifetime that you think could help them with their struggle and their journey, what would those three lessons be?
1: Hmm. Everything you can do to befriend yourself and drop the self cruelty. Life doesn't give up on you, but life hands us, all of us, so much that is hard and sad and frustrating and disappointing. And we don't need to add to it. We don't need to add to it. You are always doing the best you know how at the time. That's one of my favorite stories in the book when my meditation teacher taught me that. And number two, right? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? To tell that person you love them to write that sonnet, to go for that walk and smell the lilacs. What are you waiting for? There is no time like now. (laughs) And then I think the third thing is how will you continue to learn or explore working with your mind and knowing that your mind comes and goes. It's like the clouds and you're the sky. How will you learn to remember you're the sky?
0: No, those are those are awesome. And mm-hmm. the second one, what I really liked about it was the fact that you sort of brought that relation back to one of the last points that you made, which was the fact that we don't get time back. So what are you waiting for? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I had this conversation, my dad's about to retire. And, you know, mm-hmm. and we were having a conversation one day about things that he wants or whatever. And, and, and he sort of said to me, he's like, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say because you're young. And I said, I said that's that's not promised to me. Time is not promised to me. Whether I'm going to be gone before you or after you, I don't know, right? And then it was a conversation about money, and I and I said to him, "You can always make more money, but you can't make more time." And mm-hmm. so it's like you're saying, "What are you waiting for?" Because if you're waiting to make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year before you do this, then you may be waiting forever because that may never come. So rather than just waiting all the time do as much as you can obviously there's restrictions to things but yeah. as much as you can do what you can because like you said it's what are you waiting for <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I would like to do for every guest is just give them an opportunity to promote anything they want to promote whether it's your book whether it's you know uh, where to find you on social whatever it is that you want to promote the floor is yours go ahead
1: oh yeah so yeah my new book why bother discover the desire for what's next it's all about Those moments in life when you're asking, what's the point? Who cares? Why should I do this? And what to do. It's a six-step process. It's full of my stories and other people's stories. And um, you can learn more about it at jenniferloudon.com forward slash why dash bother. And we have all kinds of goodies that we give you when you buy the book and send us a receipt.
0: Perfect. Awesome. And then, in terms of social, are you present anywhere or, or not? So yeah, much? I'm
1: on Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, okay. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, but I never do anything on LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. Just yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to uh, put as much of that as I can in the show oh, notes. Oh, thank let you. People know where to find you, um, because I don't. I to be completely honest, had it not been for podcastguest.com, I don't know that I would have. But I'm glad I did. Um, and I want to be able to introduce you to as many of my listeners as I can, because, like I said, I think your story is something that is relatable as well as you you gave us a lot of tips and, and things that we can do um, to get through a lot of the things that most of us struggle with you know loss and everything like that so yeah. um, so again you know thank you for for taking the time today thank you for having an interest in my podcast because you know most people don't know who I am and I don't have any expertise in this area so it always humbles me that you know people come on here and they share so openly it's it's uh, it's really it's a great feeling for me and I learn just as much as I think any of my listeners do so again thank you for your time thank you for coming on and, and I look forward to staying connected and um, learning more from you because i'm sure there's tons more to learn oh
1: thank you so much it was a delight appreciate it so much brian
0: awesome take care thank you for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe and follow the podcast on instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on facebook and linkedin you can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.